Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. As always, I'm Josh Downs. Today's episode is episode 41, and we're going to be taking a look at the book of Ephesians this week under the theme for the perfecting of the saints. As I thought about the material that we're going to be studying this week, the experience that came to my mind was a night probably just last winter where I was driving home from work and I ran into an incredibly thick patch of fog. I'm sure many of you have had that kind of experience. I mean, it was as bad as I've ever experienced a patch of fog. I couldn't see a thing. I couldn't see the cars ahead of me. I couldn't see the cars behind me. I could barely even see the road. I had to almost pull over because it was so bad, but I ended up just going through it slowly enough until it began to dissipate and I could finally begin to see again. Well, we all know what it feels like to lose sight in some way at some point in time, whether it's because of a storm, a fog like what I experienced, profound darkness, and many other ways. And I'm sure that you know through that experience how terrible of a feeling it is to lose sight. Not being able to see can be terrifying because you don't know where to go or you don't know what's coming. Well, God doesn't want us to feel that way, especially for you young people who are just growing up and trying to find your way in the world. As Paul reminds us in the book of Timothy, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Well, a lot of what you will learn this week in your study are those things that God has given us, has given you specifically to help you to be able to see better, to grow stronger, and eventually overcome the world regardless of the adversity and the opposition and the evil that you will certainly face in it. Now, the background of these chapters is as follows. When the gospel began to spread in Ephesus, it caused no small stir among the Ephesians. Local craftsmen who produced shrines to a pagan goddess saw Christianity as a threat to their livelihood, and soon they were full of wrath, and the whole city was filled with confusion. Now imagine being a new convert to the gospel in such a setting. Many Ephesians did accept and live the gospel amid this uproar. And Paul assured them that Christ is our peace. These words, along with his invitation to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away, seem as timely and comforting now as they were then. For the Ephesians, as for each of us, the strength to face adversity comes in the Lord and in the power of his might. We certainly live in a time of confusion, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go through a few of these principles today. And the things that God has given to help us to deal with this confusion, those things that we just can't see what the truth is regarding. And the first principle I want to take a look at is found in chapter 2, and it's actually a group of missionary verses that uh, you will need to become very familiar with for those that will be serving missions as they're used to illustrate the significance of prophets and apostles, which is really a relatively new concept in the world. Um, ever since the, the great apostasy where the apostles were killed, it's long been thought by the world that that was a thing of the past, that there would no longer be prophets and apostles. And one of your jobs that you will have as a missionary is to help people understand the role 
of a prophet and apostles and how important and significant they are. That God has used them in the past and that he still uses them today. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so those things that he's used to guide and to watch over and, and bless his children, he will continue to use today as he did back then. These verses are starting in verse 19 through 21. Give you a second to turn there and have you mark these. These are some that you most likely, as I mentioned, will need to memorize at some point for the mission field. In these verses, Paul writes, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We've talked a little bit about that great blessing in joining the church and being a member of the church. You join a community, a family that is spread throughout the world. You always have a home that you can go to. And that's, speaking of missions, one of the great blessings, as I've referred to earlier, that came to me in going to a foreign place like Mississippi, that I was able to return home in a manner of speaking when I went to church for the first time. That feeling of walking into a chapel and hearing the music and seeing the members, it just it had a familiar feeling and spirit to it. And I was so thankful for that. It's one of the blessings that Paul is pointing out here is, is by joining the church, we are no more strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We are together. And he says in verse 20, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. I think I've mentioned before that one of the kind of ways I would illustrate the apostasy and the restoration was by building up a church made out of Dixie cups in the mission field. And I would always start with the foundation being apostles um, and show them that the church was built upon them. And as the, uh, with Christ, of course, being the chief cornerstone, and as the apostles and Christ were killed and taken from the earth, that just like a building without a foundation crumbles, so did the church. And then I would proceed to pull out the apostles from the building and then have my investigators watch as all of these Dixie Cups came tumbling down. And that, in many ways, is what caused the great apostasy to come about. It's the significance of prophets and apostles as a foundation that is paramount to understand, not just for investigators, but for all of us. That is the key to a strong and sturdy structure, a strong and sturdy life being able to recognize the value and the importance of living prophets and to make them a foundation in our lives, to make them foundational to everything that we do. Sometimes, however, I worry having such access to living prophets and apostles today can cause us to maybe take them a little bit too much for granted and not pay as close attention to them as we otherwise would. As President M. Russell Ballard declared on one occasion, it is no small thing to have a prophet of God in our midst. And I think about what it would be like to go back in some of the biblical times and to be around the great prophets like Noah or Moses or Abraham or moving into Book of Mormon times, the great prophets such as Lehi and Nephi and Alma. These great men of God, would we not listen to every word that they had to say and treat them with the utmost respect and reverence that that calling deserves as a prophet. And if so, can we develop that same kind of capacity within us today with our modern day prophets and apostles? 
there is a story that I love from General Conference just recently that really illustrates to me again and reiterates the importance and significance of following the prophet in everything that he says and does. And this was from Elder Alan D. Haney of the 70, who just, I think it was last conference even, mentioned this story where he said, One day I walked into the cafeteria at church headquarters to have some lunch. And after getting a tray of food, I entered the dining area and noticed the table at which all three members of the First Presidency were seated, along with one empty chair. My insecurities caused me to make a quick detour away from that table, but then I heard the voice of our prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, saying, Alan, there's an empty chair right here. Come and sit down with us. Boy, can you imagine being in that situation? And so he said I did. Near the end of the lunch, I was surprised to hear a loud crunching noise. And then I looked up and saw that President Nilsson had stood his plastic water bottle straight up and then flattened it and replaced the lid. President Dallin H. Oaks then asked the question that I wanted to ask. He said, President Nilsson, uh, why did you flatten your plastic water bottle? <laughs> to which he replied, it makes it easier for those who are handling recyclable materials because it doesn't take up as much space in the recycling container. Well, he said, while pondering that response, I heard the same crushing sound again. I looked to my right and President Oaks had flattened his plastic water bottle, just like President Nelson. I then heard some noise to my left and President Henry B. Eyring was flattening his plastic water bottle, although he had adopted a different strategy by doing it while the bottle was horizontal, which took a little more effort than with the bottle straight up. Noticing this, he said, President Nelson kindly showed him the bottle straight up technique to more easily flatten the bottle. <laughs> At that point, he said, I leaned over to President Oaks and quietly asked, is flattening your plastic water bottle a new recycling requirement in the cafeteria? To which President Oaks responded with a smile on his face, well, Alan, you need to follow the prophet. <laughs> I just love that story. Because here are two apostles, in the first presidency even, that recognize the significance and the importance of having a living prophet. And as foundational as they are themselves to the church, they knew the importance of following President Nelson in everything that he did, even when it came to maybe flattening a plastic water bottle. That was the level of commitment that they had to following the prophet. That's how foundational he was to them. And is he the same to us? I want to start out with that question and that principle. Are prophets and apostles foundational to you, young people? Have they become that? Are they becoming that? Are you willing to follow them and their counsel in the little things as much as you might be in the big things? Which I might argue the little things are actually harder to follow than the big things. And we have precedence all throughout scripture of that couple key questions for you to consider. First of all, why do you think the Lord uses the term foundation as a way to describe the role of prophets and apostles? What does the word foundation mean to you? If you were to consider your life as a building, what would it look like? What would a life look like? What would your life look like to be built on the foundation of prophets and apostles? How can you reinforce that foundation to be built a little stronger on prophets and apostles. And to kind of apply this, 
directly to today, did you take the opportunity to strengthen that foundation this past weekend by listening to their words at General Conference? And if so, which of their messages resonated with you the most, and how did it help you to build your faith in Christ? And if not, what can you still do to take the opportunity to listen to those words and strengthen your foundation on them? Maybe a last question to consider that would be a good one. What are some of the little things that prophets and apostles have counseled us to do lately, especially, and how are you doing in following them? Now, for the second principle, I want to take a look at something else that Paul teaches that I, in, in this book that I really think emphasizes why it's so important that we make prophets and apostles foundational to us and what it is that they can do for us as we do. For this principle, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 11 through 14. Again, referencing the importance and significance of apostles and prophets, as well as other callings within the church, Paul teaches here in verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's one of the things I, I love pointing out, and I remember using these verses as well in the mission field, just to kind of show how the church was built up. That yes, there was the foundation of apostles and prophets, but there were other callings, like Paul mentions here, that, that there were some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, and other things, some bishops, some deacons, some elders, the purpose of all of this was for the perfecting of the saints, to help us to become better, and as he says, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. And that really is what our prophet and apostles do for us, and really any calling in the church is designed to do. They are meant to inspire, to edify, to give us counsel and direction that help us to become better and to become more perfect and to come closer to Christ. And that really is what we have the opportunity to experience at every general conference. And one of the reasons why I love conference so much, I always leave edified and wanting to be better after hearing their words and their counsel. But Paul points out another thing that is maybe even more important, especially in today's world, in verse 14, that by having this foundation, by having prophets and apostles and other leaders in the church, one of the defining purposes of those callings and the reason God gives them to us is in verse 14, he says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Have you noticed how much harder it is getting to tell the truth and what is true in this world? There is almost too much information now. As an example, it's mostly widely known and accepted that Elvis is dead. Yet, if you go on the internet, you'll find all kinds of articles and news-related feeds that claim he is not dead, that he is very much alive. <laughs> I, I even came across an article not too long ago that said he was discovered alive as a homeless person under an overpass in California. And I know of individuals that sent that out to their friends and to their family members, believing that it was real. 
That's just one example. There's so much out there that is being reported either as true or as false. So many were reporting that COVID was very real and all the precautions that need to be taken to protect yourself from it. And on the other hand, there were just as many that were promoting and reporting that it wasn't real and that you didn't need to take all those precautions to protect yourself from it. And this kind of confusion has been going on for quite some time. I remember reading about Orson Welles' radio hoax called War of the Worlds that was broadcast in the 1930s that caused his audience to go into a state of panic, thinking that the world was being invaded by aliens. The media today has so much control over the things that we think, over the things that we believe, over the things that we do. And it is getting harder and harder in the world today to distinguish between what is true and what is false, what is real and what isn't. And that is just in part due to the innumerous amount of opinions that are just out there in the world today that are being able to be broadcast everywhere. And that doesn't take into account the secret combinations that surely exist in the world today and will use anything at their disposal, any means, power, or resources to deceive people to do the things that they want them to do. So with all of this going on, again, how are we supposed to know what's true? In a lot of ways, it reminds me of the way Joseph felt back when he was trying to figure out which of all the churches and religions were right and true, which one he should join. In his own history, he said concerning this kind of time and experience, what is to be done? Who of all these parties are right? Or are they all wrong together? If anyone is right, which is it? And how shall I know it? And young people, I'm here to tell you, it is just going to get worse and worse and more and more confusing. And you will find yourself on many times and many occasions, I'm sure, asking, what's true? What's real? What should I do in this situation and with all this information? Well, God's answer for us is the same as it was back in Joseph's time. What did God do to help Joseph and really everyone at the time to be able to distinguish what was true, especially in religion? He called a prophet. In fact, in the book of Helaman, which again, if the Book of Mormon was meant to be written for our day, the book of Helaman would correspond most closely with our time period today as a precursor to the coming of the Lord. Prophets have repeatedly counseled us to study closely the book of Helaman and to look for similarities between their day and our day today as we approach the second coming of Christ, much like the Nephites were approaching his coming to them. Well, a lot of the book of Helaman is kind of given to us from a, a thousand foot view. We just get a lot of quick events that are happening and some specifics here and there, which there are a ton of similarities if you look as they relate to our day. But then almost right in the middle of it, it slows down profoundly to where there is a focus on one story in particular. And that story takes up a large part of the book of Helaman. And what's that story? Well, it's the story of the murder of their chief judge and Nephi, the prophet at the time's ability as a prophet to see right through those secret combinations and reveal the truth of them to all those that would listen to him. Something that no one should have been able to tell. No one should have been able to figure out. Something that no one should have been able to know. But God knew, and he revealed it to his prophet, who then exposed the truth to the people. I don't think it's a coincidence that that story is in there just prior to the Savior's coming. I believe God knew full well just how confusing 
our day and time would be, how many lies and deceptions would be out there that could potentially deceive and destroy our faith, destroy our peace, destroy our very lives. And so there in the Book of Mormon, God gives us the answer. He helps us to see that the way that we can avoid deception, the way that we can discern truth, isn't just through the Spirit, but through a prophet. That's one of the fundamental purposes of a prophet, is to help us to see through deception, as Paul teaches here in Ephesians. In our church and in our culture, we refer to these men, these prophets and apostles, as prophets, seers, and revelators. But one of the things I like pointing out is that isn't necessarily how God defined who they are. He put those words in a little bit of a different order. If you look in Doctrine and Covenants section 21, verse 1, the Lord says at the organization of the church and referencing Joseph as the prophet at the time, he says, Behold, there shall be a record kept among you, and in it thou shalt be called a seer, a translator, a prophet, an apostle of Jesus Christ, an elder of the church. You notice the word that the Lord puts first in relation to all those? As wonderful as a translator, a prophet, an apostle, that title is, he refers to them first, refers to Joseph first, as a seer. And I think that's important. That's significant for us. God doesn't do anything just by happenstance. He is meticulous in every word that he uses because he's God. (laughs) And he knows that we'll be looking at him for answers and for help and for guidance. There's a reason that he referred to Joseph first as a seer and to prophets as seers. It's because they can help us to see. That's what they do. They can see what we can't. And in the coming days, I am confident that it will require greater faith in following a prophet to avoid deception than ever before. And so a few questions to kind of help you with this particular principle and and absorb it and apply it in your life. First of all, first question might be, why is it important to you to remember a prophet's role as a seer? What does that mean for you? Number two, what would you do if the prophet directed you to do something that you didn't understand or maybe didn't even agree with? That's kind of a tough question to answer. I want you to contemplate that. Again, what would you do if the prophet today, President Nielsen, directed you to do something that you didn't understand or maybe didn't even agree with? Would it be important to follow their counsel anyway? If so, why? What examples can you think of in the scriptures where following a prophet's counsel, even when it didn't make perfect sense, still brought blessings and led to positive outcomes? And the last question, one that I think can really be directly applicable to today and to right now, is based on what we've talked about here, why is it then even more important and vital to listen to General Conference and to study their words immediately after? Now for the last principle for this episode, I want to take a look at chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. It's in these verses that Paul references the the great and well-known phrase of putting on the whole armor of God. Starting in verse 10, he pleads with us, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Young people, one of the things I would have you mark, or at least circle, is the word whole. He's not inviting us to just put on a part of it, but all of it. 
the gospel, as one general authority has mentioned in the past, isn't a smorgasbord that we get to pick and choose what we want on our plates and what we don't. It's not a hometown buffet that we can go to and just selectively choose what we want to follow and obey. We need to strive to follow all of it. We need to put on all the armor of God. As he says in verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, there are very real forces of evil and darkness that are waging war on you and war on those around you, waging war on the entire world. We just can't see them, but we can't forget that they are real and that they're there. Wherefore, he says in verse 13, Take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, protect the power of creation that we have, and your heart with righteousness. In verse 15, he says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I interpret that to mean to take the gospel of peace or just to take peace with you wherever you go. Leave people and places and circumstances and situations better than you found them, better than they were when you arrived. And above all, in verse 16, taking up the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The shield of faith. I love that. Faith is a shield. Think about it. Everything you and I do in the gospel is based on faith. Whether or not we go to church or go to the temple or pay our tithing or read our scriptures or say our prayers, it all begins with faith. The manner in which we face our challenges and trials comes down to the level of faith that we have. Even pushing back on temptations that the rest of the world says is okay is done with faith. That is your greatest shield in this war. You know how to build faith? It's through the Word of God. And there's no better place for us to get His words than through living prophets and apostles. And then to conclude, he says in verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I love the sword of the Spirit because in a war, I don't want to just defend myself. I want to attack. I want to overcome, overthrow, and destroy the enemy that's trying to destroy me. Destroy my life, destroy my family, my freedom. And it's the word of God that will be my greatest, not only shield, but also weapon against the darkness. So that again is why, young people, it's so vital that you fill your minds with it. Become a student of the scriptures. Become a student of conference talks. You'll be able to draw on those words whenever you need them to destroy and push back on the deceptions, the lies, and the powers of darkness that will come against you. And then finally in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture is Helaman and the 2,000 stripling warriors. And young people, this story applies to you today, I think more than ever before. In Alma chapter 53, verse 17 Speaking of them, it's written that they entered into a covenant to fight for the liberty of the Nephites, yea, to protect the, the land unto the laying down of their lives. Yea, even they covenanted that they would never give up their liberty, and they would fight in all cases to protect the Nephites 
and themselves from bondage. And now behold, there were two thousand of those young men who entered into this covenant and took their weapons of war to defend their country. And now behold, as it's recorded, as they never had hitherto been a disadvantage to the Nephites, they became now at this period of time also a great support. For they took their weapons of war, and they would that Helaman, the prophet, should be their leader. Ah, young people, do you see the parallel that exists in this story and in you today and the opportunity that is right in front of you? The forces of good need you more than ever before. One of the other great verses that describes these young people is verse 20, which says, And they were all young men, and they were exceedingly valiant for courage and also for strength and activity. But this is not all. They were men who were true at all times in whatsoever thing they were entrusted. Yea, they were men of truth and soberness, for they had been taught to keep the commandments of God and walk uprightly before Him. Two other great verses I'll give you about this amazing group of young people. Alma 57, verses 20 and 21. And as the remainder of our army were about to give way before the Lamanites, behold, those 2,060 were firm and undaunted. Yea, they did obey and observe to perform every word of command from the prophet that was leading them with exactness. Yea, even according to their faith, it was done unto them. And I did remember the words they said unto me that their mothers had taught them. This army, young people, came at just the right time to save the Nephites on multiple occasions and basically turned the the tide of the battle and the entire war. They were an absolute inspiration to the entire army of the Nephites and gave them hope that God was with them, that he would strengthen them and deliver them from their own battles. And that is what will happen and can happen today. I know there are times where it's normal for us as adults to get down and to get discouraged. And I know that we do. I know that I felt that. And I know that others have as well. But you know where I've drawn a lot of my strength to keep going and to keep fighting? Even when I was getting down and discouraged and felt like almost, what's the point? Satan's just too good and too strong. A lot of that inspiration and motivation has come from watching you. I've seen you in my classes. I've seen you in groups that I've spoken with. I've seen the things that you've done to lead out and to push back against the forces of darkness that are out there. And it has inspired me every time to fight harder and to be better. There's a reason that this story of the 2000 Stripling Warriors is in the Book of Mormon and in the war chapters. I believe that in the coming days that you will play a bigger part than you have any idea in helping push this battle forward and tipping the the scales for it to be in our favor, in God's favor. He is counting on you. He needs you. And he is waiting for you to take up your swords, to follow the prophet, to make him your leader, to obey his counsel and his direction with exactness, to be true at all times in the things that you're entrusted, to keep his commandments, and to do some serious damage to Satan, to the evil that's out there and his forces. And please understand that this doesn't mean that you are going to be perfect, that you're never going to have anything not go wrong in your life. Remember throughout the story, although there wasn't one of them that was lost, there was also not one of them 
that didn't receive many wounds. This is a fight, and it's going to be a hard fight. And there's going to be times where you'll be hurt, where you'll be injured, where you will fall. But with God's help, you will not be lost. You will continue to get up, continue to push forward, and continue to fight until the battle is won. I really can't wait to see in the coming days the impact that the youth of this church will have, not only on the church, but on the world, as each of you more fully chooses to put upon yourself the entire armor of God, the whole armor of God, to build your lives on the foundation of prophets and apostles and to follow their words with exactness. Now, a couple key questions to end with today. Number one, would you ever consider going out to war without taking your armor, without taking a shield, or without taking a weapon? And I'm assuming your answer would be no to that. And if so, how do we sometimes inadvertently do that each day when we leave our homes to go to school or to go to work or other activities? What are some of the things that you can do each morning before you leave to make sure that you are prepared with the armor, with the shield, and with the swords that you need to face the evil forces that will come against you. Satan today has found ways to even infiltrate our homes. And so what are some of the methods that he uses to weaken our defenses and resolve to fight and ability to put on the whole armor of God even before we walk out the door? And because of that, what are some things that you can do to protect yourself and your home more fully from his attack so that it can be a place of refuge, of retreat, and a place to regroup for you to go back out and do battle again. How can you apply the message of the 2,000 Stripling Warriors to your life and the battles that you're fighting? Do you understand, young people, how much your victories can inspire others to fight and win their own battles? And two last key questions. What was the role of following the prophet in their victories? And how does that apply to you today? Thanks for listening, you guys. As always, I hope that that's been helpful. And those were just a few principles for you to find and discover throughout the book of Ephesians. So many more wait as you go through and read and study it on your own. As always, remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness, is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and He invites us all to come follow me. So, my hope is that we will follow Him better this week and become better as we follow Him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.